If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, that's where we'll be tonight. Matthew 14. Great worship set tonight. I mean, as usual, but um, this is one of those chapters where, you know, God is so good, God is so good. When we read this chapter, chapter 14, we... Um, one of the one of the this is one of those chapters where you just cheer for for Jesus, um, and not in a not in a cheesy kind of way, but like let's cheer for Jesus. I mean, like you're going to cheer because of who he is and who the crowd is versus who the crowd is, you know, and uh, and it's just such a blessing to see his heart. I, I guess the the key uh, phrase for tonight will be he's moved with compassion. Simple, right? So don't, don't forget that. If you remember one thing from tonight, he's moved with compassion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to study it tonight and spend time in it. We know that it's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in, and in your hands, it changes us from the inside out, which is what you do. Uh, we do our best to work on our behaviors and, and, and act accordingly and responsibly uh, according to your word. Um, but it's you that changes the heart, changes our mind. And so we open up both our hearts and our minds to you and allow you to do whatever you need to do with us. You're the great physician, um, and you can heal us um, of, our, of our worldliness, of our flesh, of everything that interrupts our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, Jesus marveled at the unbelief in his own area that he grew up in, um, Galilee. Um, he couldn't do any mighty works there, didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It was, he really marveled at that. He had given them no reason to doubt, no reason to lose faith. There is no reason to not have faith in him. He's always accomplished what he set out to do. He's always done what he said he's going to do. Always kept every promise. Uh, and yet, um, they couldn't accept what he was doing, even though they witnessed the miracles, they listened to his wisdom because they knew his background. That's all they had. Don't we know your mom? Don't we know your brothers and sisters? Uh, didn't you grow up around here? Aren't you the carpenter's son? All those things apparently were enough to cause unbelief in their hearts. And that's a terrible thing when God is desperately trying to speak, you know, and, and you can see the same thing happening in our world today as we try to minister the love of Christ to people around us and, and uh, we tell them about Jesus. A, a lot of times they confuse Jesus with Christianity or with um, what the church has done in the past and so on. And, and so they'll hear the good news, but then they'll follow up with, but aren't you the guys or aren't you the ones and so on. And that has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with a bunch of people trying to follow Jesus and not doing a great job of it a lot of times. But they did their best, or they tried anyway. And some of them were absolutely corrupt and absolutely, completely uh, void of any relationship with the true and living God. They only had the appearance of it, and that happens too. And nothing you can do about that. That's just church. Nothing. You, there's no litmus test at the door, you know? Dip yourselves and see what your pH balance, your spiritual pH is to see if you're a Christian or not. People just come in the doors and they say all sorts of things. It doesn't mean that they are. And so when Jesus tries to minister and tries to be the expressed image of the Father here on earth, they lost the opportunity to be ministered to because they knew this, that, or the other thing. And it had nothing to do with him. Well, John the Baptist is going to be beheaded here, is beheaded, 
And Jesus hears about it, and that's really what this chapter is about, and the feeding of the 5,000 and what follows. Verse 1, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now, uh, Matthew says, let's, let's tell you what's happened and why he's saying those things, and now he's going to go back and say, here's what happened to John the Baptist. The confusing thing for Herod, Herod is one of three brothers ruling. Herod the Great um, was around, and that was their dad. And when he died, Herod Antipas, which is who we're reading about tonight, led the area of the Galilean area. Okay, he was kind of in charge of that. His brother Archelaus did the south of Israel, and Philip did the north. And so there's three brothers. Philip is going to be pertinent to this story. Philip is his brother. Um, and so he's, he's really in charge of one-third of Israel is the idea. That's, that's who he is. Well, he had married his brother Philip's wife, and that's Herodias. And how that went down was he was married already, this Antipas, this guy we're reading about. He was married already, and he went to visit his father, brother Philip in the north and fell in love with his wife. And so he says, I want to marry you, and uh, brought her back with him, but then had to divorce his current wife so he could get married to her. You can see the mess. And so when John the Baptist came on the scene, he confronted Herod about this publicly. And a lot of people don't like to be confronted publicly about their sin. It had probably been a conviction in his heart for a long time. The Holy Spirit is very much a gentleman, and God is very much the type who wants to minister to us privately if we'll let him. But if we won't let him, oftentimes these things become public so that we can get to the heart of the issue and deal with this. God isn't one to just let things go, you see. And so... John made it public. Well, that offended his wife, Herod's wife, Herodias. You'll get those names pretty soon. But she didn't like that. She didn't like being called out for who she was, what she had done. And she becomes, well, John's death. She's going to ask for it. So anyway, John, has been, has been, uh, John the Baptist has been uh, beheaded, and we're going to read about that in here in a minute. So he hears about this Jesus doing these same things, you know, baptizing in the in the in the Jordan, and, and all these people, and people listening to him and coming to him. He's like, it's him, it's him. And I don't know if you've ever, I probably, I don't know if I should bring this up, and I don't remember the story very well, but I remember reading it in high school, the Telltale Heart, um, and that's it. It was one of it really. I didn't read much in high school, but that is a book that I did read. Uh, one of the stories, a short story, so that's probably why I read it. The Telltale Heart, and it's, it's, it's about a man who kills his boss and uh, buries him under the floorboards of his, of, his, of his room, and he begins to hear the heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. It just drove him crazy. And so the inspector comes to question him about something, and I, I, I may be getting the story wrong, but I think this is how it goes. I probably should read it again. Anyway, and as the inspector's sitting there, he can hear the heartbeat, and he's sure that the inspector can hear the heartbeat too. And, and all the story is about is to show you that, that conviction, that guilt, that overwhelming, that powerful sense of shame, and I'm going to be found out in just a panic almost. Well, that's where these two are right now. It's like a biblical telltale heart. They know what they did was wrong. They know they shouldn't be 
together. And everybody knows it, but nobody says anything to them. They're very powerful, influential people. I mean, they're in charge of one-third of Israel. And so here comes John the Baptist, Mr. Wild Locust and Honey and Camel Hair, going, you, you know. And she's like, shut him up. Shut him up. I don't want to hear it. And so she puts him in prison. Hmm. Tough. So Matthew comes back, verse 3, to tell us what's happened here. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, uh, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he, Herod, don't, don't miss this, although he, Herod, wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. There's a couple other places in the scripture, John and, Matt and, and uh, Mark, that speak of the same situation. You wouldn't get that from them that Herod wanted to. You almost get the sense that Herod kind of felt that conviction and understood what John was saying or what John the Baptist was saying and believed it and kind of wanted to repent but didn't. Not the case. Matthew gives us a clear picture. Herod was just as irritated with the truth coming out or it being proclaimed so loudly as anybody, and he wanted him dead too, but he was afraid of the multitude. I don't want, to try, I don't want them to turn on me. I like the crowds, you know. It's easier to rule when you've got everybody's affection. And he knew that this would, if he killed John, he knew he was a, he was a favorite of the gang, of the crowd, so he didn't want to do that. And he, they counted him a prophet, so I can't kill a prophet. So put him in prison. That was like the middle ground. For him. Um, anyway, um, rough. This guy is ruled by the crowds and he's ruled by his wife at the same time. That's a bad combination all the way around. Um, and she's going to prove that here in a minute. And it's going to bring him down. Um, we can't worry about the crowds. Now, I, I hate to teach him as a proverb, he's a bad proverb. Um, he, he shouldn't kill John, but he also shouldn't be worried about the crowds. He shouldn't be worried about the multitudes. He shouldn't be. We need to have the fear of the Lord as Christians, and we need to follow the Lord. And regardless of what the crowd says or anybody else says against us, we still have to do what God says we're supposed to do. And when we begin to fear the crowds, we begin to make serious mistakes, and, uh, um, and they will find us out, and they do. Um, these two do not do well <laughs> at the end of their lives. They'll, they'll kill John and... And uh, they'll, they'll be around after Jesus, but not much longer after Jesus gets crucified. Um, and we'll, I'll get into that here in a little bit. It's a little bit of history. It's not necessarily in the text, but it's, it's out there to read. Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, so they're in a huge party, and you can imagine what kind of party this is, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. This is his niece, who's a teenager at the time. Therefore... She did such a good job dancing, apparently, that therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, Herodias, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the other scriptures, Mark and other places, say, Now. So they're under the influence of alcohol. They're having a crazy party. This woman has sent out her daughter to go dance in front of her own husband, which is, his, which is her uncle. I mean, it's a bizarre situation. And she's dressed in such an inappropriate way and moving in such a seductive way that it arouses all the guests, everybody, all the guys, 
to the point where what can I give you? And at one point he says, up to half the kingdom. I'll give you half the kingdom. That was an amazing, I mean, some dance, you know. And so she looks at her mom and mom says, get, get his head and do it tonight. Before the alcohol wears off, before there's time for repentance, before the moment is over, before the infatuation with you, daughter, is over, get him to do it tonight and bring the platter right here during the party. Get it done. You know, it's expedient. I need to be expedient about this because you might have second thoughts later on. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths, because he made the promise in front of him, because of those who sat with him, he he commanded it to be given to her. Go cut his head off now. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. Now, his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. I don't know if any of you can picture that in your head. Well, no pun intended. Probably bad choice of words. Um, what a horrible party. But not for them. That tells you what kind of party this is. It tells you what kind of people they are. It tells you the situation and the gravity of it. You know, here's the head. And she takes this platter with the head on it and brings it to her mom. Here's the, I mean, sick, sick and twisted. I tell you, once you reject God, once you reject Christ, once you're completely given over to the flesh, it's amazing what we're capable of, what human beings are capable of, the depth that we can go to. This is just 17-year-old girl carrying around some prophet's head, gives it to her mom. Here you go, mom. Hope the dance worked out the way you'd hoped. I mean, There's a lot of ugliness out there. And I'm thankful that I don't see all of it. I'm sure we see some of it and hear stories about some of it. Some of us more than others, depending on your job and um, the roles you play in our community. Some of you are brought into situations you wish you'd never have to be a part of. You didn't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. Children and spousal abuse and child abuse and all the things that go on out there constantly, especially in our small town here that's ranked number nine. That's great. That's exciting. We're ranked number nine in the nation. It's one of the greatest small towns to live in. Wow, Maryville. And yet underneath the surface of it all, these things happen. These things are going on in the smaller towns around us. Um, this kind of idea, this using your teenage daughters for certain purposes and for um, this kind of grotesque partying, you know, I don't know that everybody's carried a head around on a platter or not, but it's, it's bad. People can get pretty strange. So anyway, that's where we are. Verse 12, then, then his disciples came and took away the body. Not John, because John's gone. John's with the Lord. But they took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now, we like to, and I like to, we're encouraged by the fact that God protects us and we pray for a hedge of protection around us and we pray for God's mercy and him uh, intervening for our... Be- well, this is what he did with the greatest prophet that ever lived. He got beheaded. That was his end. And if you read about... You, you can get a, a lot of good books on martyrdom. Um, or, or, or saints of old that have been martyred. Um, I think one of the best ones we ever read was the one by um, that band. What was it? You remember that? Um, yeah, DC Talk did a... Yeah, Jesus Freaks, an excellent book. 
Jesus freaks and how they got martyred and how they all went down. And, and very few survived their faith in, to a ripe old age. You know, Some were sawn in half, some were crucified upside down, but John boiled in oil, left on the island of Patmos to die. And, um, horrible. And, and Jesus is very careful to explain that to all of his disciples, that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Well, the hate for Jesus led to a crucifixion. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. We shouldn't be surprised when that, when that crucifixion comes, when that moment comes. And, 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 and we can't get to that place in our walk with the Lord where we look back and say, well, how come I was persecuted? Where's my hedge of protection? Where's, my, where's, where's, where's God's faithfulness? Where, where, where was he in my darkest hour? Well, there must have been a miscommunication someplace when we think that it's supposed to be roses and it's supposed to be easy and there isn't going to be any conflict. No, there, there is. If, there, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you can, you can plan on conflict. You can plan on it. And, and, and take courage from it, honestly. Because if you're not getting that conflict, that means there's no conflict with the world. There is no, you know, there, there is this misunderstanding, I think, in the church or in a lot of large portion of the church that the, the world shouldn't hate the church. The church should be welcoming and the world should feel comfortable as they are sitting in the... no. No, the church is supposed to be at odds with the world. We, there's a battle. There's a war. There's, there's a conflict. This is a perfect example of that. Herod didn't feel comfortable in John the Baptist's congregation because he kept talking about adultery and sin. And you're just not very friendly, John. This is our example of Jesus claiming this is the greatest prophet, and he called it out loud. And that's okay. And that's normal Christianity. Now, I'm not, I hope I'm not beating anybody up here tonight, but I just want us to be prepared for, we don't study stuff like this unless we should be prepared for stuff like this. Um, it's not going to get easier um, to walk with the Lord in a solid, meaningful way, you know, in a faithful way. As faithful as he is to us, we're to be to him in all things, in all things. And the world will try to get us to compromise and try to get us to move towards them to, and blame us for being hateful. They'll just call it hate. That's just the, what we're going to do. If you don't accept my sin, you're a hater. Well, that's not true. Then John's a hater, I guess. Is John a hater? John doesn't say these things because he hates people. John doesn't tell people to repent because he hates them. John doesn't take people down to the Jordan River to baptize them and get them to know Jesus because he hates them. He's, he's doing what he's got to do. It's the most loving thing anybody can do is to tell people and tell ourselves, this is sin. It's, it's causing you to separate. It's making great distance between you and God. And the best thing for you is to come as close to God as possible. And so we've got to call it, and he does. And he gets his head taken off of his shoulders for it. And that is necessary. This is the beginning of the crucifixion of Christ, in a sense. They've been waiting. Jesus has been saying, it's not time. It's not my moment. Uh, the hour has not come. He said that several times. 
Well, we're going to see a change here. We're going to see a change in Jesus' direction. So they take his body away and they went and told Jesus, verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. He's on the, that side, the Galilean side, and he crosses over to the other side, away from where John the Baptist just was crucified. You understand that? Or was beheaded. And he moves to the other side. He's got to get alone for a little bit. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now in the other scriptures, it tells us that he also taught. It's in Mark chapter 6 verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things and he healed them. Didn't just heal them, but he also taught. Now that would have been a prime opportunity for Jesus to say, look, I need some time. My cousin just got beheaded. This kind of means I'm doomed. This is, this, my time has begun. I'm, I'm walking towards the cross now. Nobody understood that. And here comes this crowd. Me, me, me. Honestly. And it's frustrating to me because I know I would be one of them. I don't know that I would have got it. Oh, it's too bad about your cousin. Um, I got this thing on my back, you know. Bummer about your cousin. Sorry about that. I mean, wow, it must have been quite a blow. Anyway, back to me. Just kind of how I am. I love me. Me has a lot of problems. Me needs a lot of help. And I can't fix it myself, so I need Jesus. And here's the thing, and this is what I want to cheer Jesus for, is because he wasn't moved with duty. He wasn't moved with responsibility. He wasn't moved by pressure. He was moved with compassion. In the midst of his sorrow... In the midst of his morning time, his time to get alone with his father, his time to deal with the fact that his cousin, he saw the crowd and he says, oh, they just, they need help. They need me. He's moved with compassion. What a great example for me. As a pastor, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, Jesus is moved with compassion, even though this probably isn't the most convenient time. This isn't the, this could be, arguably a good time for him to be alone and to get away. And he does try. Don't get me wrong. He does try. There's nothing wrong with what he did. But when he found out that they found him, I mean, you know, he, he goes across on a boat and they see where he's headed and they got to run around the other end of the lake, basically. Sea of Galilee. That's a long run. And there they are on the shore when he lands. He's like, oh, you know, turn the boat around, go the other side, you know. Row faster or whatever. No, he's moved with compassion. I love that. That's a beautiful thing um, to see that in him. And to see that he's that way towards me even today and towards you. Jesus, I love you. You're so great. You've done so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm sorry, sorry about my sin and all that. Okay, now I got some things, you know. And he doesn't look at me like I think he looks at me. As disgusted as I am and as tired of myself as I am sometimes, really? You're going to go talk to him about it again? You're going to go 
with your problems to him again? I mean, can you not just, I, I have these arguments with myself. I don't know if anybody else does or not, but can't you just worship him for a while and just let it go at that and walk away without asking him for anything? Nope. I can't. And just when I think that I'm tired of myself and therefore I project onto Christ that he's tired of me too, I read something like this. And I have to really be careful that I don't project who I am onto him or how I feel about myself onto him. I'm watching this whole scenario and I'm like, oh man, he must be so... I mean, really? You guys can't give me a moment? Because I remember the time when he told him to pray in the garden and he has a moment. He says, could you not pray one hour? You know? I'm like, yeah, it's with you guys, you know. I'm right, I get that. But right here, he's moved with compassion. And so I want you to know this tonight, and I know that God wants us to know this tonight. When you come to him, no matter how often or how, how, how repetitive it may be, he's moved with compassion for you. Not duty, not responsibility, not with frustration, but with compassion he's moved towards you to hear your prayer. And he wants to touch you. And he seals, sees that you're sick and he understands. You can't do anything about being sick. It's not your fault. He knows, and, and I'm not saying that it's not our fault that we sin, but he knows that there's nothing we can do about our sin of ourselves. And so when we come to the great physician, the one that heals us from our sin, which is how we prayed this tonight, that's how we started, he knows that we can't change our insides. We can't get a new heart. We can't get a new mind. We can't get what we need of ourselves. It has to come from him. And so when we come to him with those desperate needs, he's moved with compassion because he knows I have the solution that you need. I can take care of that problem. Of course you came to me. Who else could you go to? I don't expect my kids to go, Dad, I'm sorry. I know it's 5 o'clock again. I'm hungry. I mean, couldn't you find anybody else to feed you? Or Jenny, you know, not me necessarily, but Jenny. I, I, of course not. Where else are you going to get food from? You've got to get food from your parents. Of course, that's just normal. He's moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. Of course, bring them, bring them. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Now, we don't know what their motivation is. Sometimes we guess. Maybe they're tired of ministering or maybe they see their friend tired. You know, it's late. You've done a lot today. You've done a lot of ministering. You know, I don't know. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter what their motives were. That's what they said. And here's his response. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had uh, eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So we're looking at almost fifteen to 20,000 people here. You know, we talk about the feeding of the 5,000. Well, that's just the men. And then you've got women. There's another five. And then you've got kids. they got lots of kids back then, you know. Um, it's a lot of people. 
It doesn't matter. 5,000 was good enough for me, right? But 15? Woo. Well, let's break this down a little bit. I think it's important. They don't need to go away. They could. There's time. Disciples aren't mean. Hey, it's late. They can go home. You know, let them go. Don't make them leave me. There's no reason for them to leave me, is what he's saying. Why don't you give them something to eat? We've only got five loaves and two fish. That ain't happening, Jesus. Yeah. Or maybe they said, we've only got five loaves and two fish. Because they've walked with him long enough to know that when he wants to feed, he can do it. He's been taking care of them. Remember Peter? Hey, they want us to pay the temple coin or temple tax. Oh, go fish. And there'll be a coin in the mouth. You get it out and you give them the temple tax. Oh, I didn't know we could do that, you know, kind of thing. Great. And so they're kind of used to this. So maybe they're like, hey, we've got five loaves and two fish. What are you going to do with that? You know, bring them here to me. What a great thing to circle in your Bibles. I don't know what you have or what you don't have. Whatever you have, bring it there to him. Bring it to him. See what he'll do with it. I got this much of a marriage left. Bring it to him. I'm this close to losing my kids. Bring it to him. I'm this close to losing my mind. (laughs) Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. And he'll take that, and he'll lift it up, and he asks God to bless it. He blessed it, but he lifts it up and gives it. He breaks it, and he gives it back to the disciples. He says, now you give it to the multitudes, you know. He restores what the locust has eaten. He will bless it. He will, ma- he will multiply it. He will magnify it. None of these people really know what's going on. They all go to sit down. He has them sit down. And the way this is worded, it's worded to the point where they're glutted, not just filled like, oh, you know, you ever get the shakes and you got to eat something? You know, I got, oh, I got to get something. I got to eat something. Snickers, great choice. You know, Excellent. He doesn't hand out a bunch of Snickers. You know, this will help your hypoglycemia or whatever you've got. Or your... He fills them to full like Thanksgiving when you're like, oh, that pie looks good, but I don't think I should. Give me, give me a piece. Give me a piece kind of thing. Let me lay down first and see if changing of my position of my body might allow for a little more room for something, you know. On a side note, my favorite part of Thanksgiving is the sandwich and the mashed potatoes afterwards. I don't know what it is. The meal's fine, but it's all, oh, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Okay, I'm just waiting for it all to get put away in the fridge and then, hmm, you know, make that sandwich. Aren't you full? That doesn't matter. They're glutted. They're glutted. Full. He doesn't just give them a little bit. He overflows them and, oh. What a blessing when we trust God with whatever little we have and let him glut us. A marriage that's glutted, kids that are glutted, overflowing with joy in your home, overflowing with faith and and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering, glutted, you know, with all the things that he can give us. And he lets the disciples participate in this beautiful thing. He didn't have to. Could have rained fish and bread on everybody. He says, here you go. I want you to hand it out. And they're doing it. And they come back with 12 baskets full. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Each one of them's got a full basket. Okay, didn't we start off with five loaves and two fish? You know, and you guys sit down and eat. Finish it off. You know, they remained. 
What a party that would have been. What a banquet that would have been. Great teaching. Everybody's healed. All the sick are better. That's a celebration in and of itself. And then they all sit down and they eat with Jesus. You know, amazing, beautiful. That's his heart. This is when Jesus should be mourning. This is right after his cousin's just been beheaded. He knows that the cross is imminent. And yet, this is what he does. He's moved with compassion. All right, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Almost like intervenes. Hey, you guys get in the boat and go. I know if I get in the boat, they're just going to follow us. You guys go. I'll stay here. They're gone. Now they're going, where are they going to? They're going back to Herod, Herod's side, okay? Jesus is going back. I need to get alone. I need some time. Sends him across. Now there's a couple things that are going on here. He is running interference for his guys. Go ahead and get out of here. I got these folks. He dismisses the people, multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, I'd have taken a nap. <laughs> That's what I do on Sunday afternoons. I'm like, I, I, I go up to sleep now. You know, He gets alone with the Lord after all of that. Now's his time to get alone with the Lord, to let him be refreshed by his father. Let the angels attend to him, you know, this moment. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So they're having a hard time getting across. Now in the fourth watch, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. So they've been going for a while now. But they're going. You know, none of them is panicking. And remember, they freaked out the last time they had a storm like this. They're all rowing. And one of the other scriptures tells us that he could see them. Well, that's a four-mile sight thing. So that's pretty amazing. I don't know if you know, you can see four miles, you it's hard. You could see them, 3 o'clock in the morning there in the, in the middle of the lake trying. And Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. I mean, they thought the wind and the waves were bad, but there's a guy walking towards us. You know, That's not supposed to happen. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. I didn't, I didn't want to spook you like that. I tell you, every time I come to church here, and one of you people, I could hear, like if I hear a radio, someone working in the back or something like that, or someone's cleaning, I just know as soon as I walk in the door, I'm like, there is no way around this. They're going to jump and hit the ceiling as soon as I say hi to them, no matter what, because they're in the zone. Nah, nah, Jesus is. Nah, nah. And I, I, I can yell here at the door. And say, I'm coming in. Don't be spooked, you know. As soon as I say that, they're like, ah! <laughs> they're at the other end of the building, and I still spook you. So, not exactly what's happened here, but you can kind of get Jesus' point. No, I didn't mean to scare you. I was coming out to help. I'm coming out to help you. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Mm, one of my favorite stories. I want to get out there too, you know. I love Peter for this. What a, what a great, bold thing to say. I'm a fisherman. I've been on these waters before, and you're walking on it. I mean, I hate these storms. Let me come out there with you. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, that's not for you to do. It's for me to walk on water, not you. He says, come. I would love for you to come out here and walk on the water with me. That's the idea. 
Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he had a few steps. Good for you, man. Good for you. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you're the son of God. And the idea in the other scriptures, it says, as soon as he stepped in the boat, as soon as he pulled Peter in, they were immediately at the other side. So they were halfway there. Jesus steps out and says, come out of the boat. They step out, panic, pulls Peter out. And as soon as he gets in the boat, it's dead still. And they're there and they're like, you know, you're truly the son of God. You're truly him. Good for Peter. Jesus wants us to walk that. He wants us to walk on water. Not for a parlor trick or not kind of, you know. He wants us to be like that. He actually gets disappointed. Oh, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt? I mean, you were doing it. You were walking by faith, and then you got worried about all those things happening around you, and you got your eyes off of me and what I've done for you in the past. And I mean, there's so much wrapped up in this, and you panicked. If you hadn't doubted, you'd, we'd be walking together still. Maybe the rest of the guys would have got out of the boat too, you know? Now, he's not really rebuking him. I mean, maybe he is. I don't know what the tone was. We really don't have it. It could have been more like, you little faith, why did you doubt? Because he does go down and catch him. He doesn't let him chug on some water for a little bit first, you know. Disappointed in you, Peter. Now, there are a lot of things here. That's all you got to say. Lord, save me. He instantly reaches down and grabs him and pulls him up. Save me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you doubt? Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. He'll do that for you spiritually, too. Now, there's a whole lot wrapped up in those three little words, and it's only the heart of Peter that knows what those three words meant. And only God will know what those three words mean when you say it to Jesus, but we can say that to him. If you're an unbeliever, it's as simple as that. There's no order to it, you know. Ah, make sure I covered all the bases. Lord, save me from this semi-salty water, sort of fresh. Uh, it's a Sea of Galilee, so it's fresh water. Um, on this night, uh, with... With these waves, no. I don't have to go through all that. Just help, you know? Grabs him. When you come to Christ, it's as simple as that. Lord, save me. From what? All of it, you know? You remember all your sins? Did you ask for all? I don't know if I covered them all or not. I just knew I was drowning and I needed help, and you reached out and I need you to pull me out of this, and he does. On the other hand, as a I don't know how long, 30 year walking with the Lord. You know, he wants me to walk on the water with him. He wants me to have that kind of faith. Not, not that specifically, obviously, but in, in my life, just to walk with one. And when, the, when things are going great and I'm taking a few steps, that's awesome. And then when things get loud and boisterous and windy, don't panic. Just walk. Why are you doubting? Why are you freaking out? Just had that moment yesterday. So disappointing when you do it. And then he says, okay, now you're going to teach this, you know. Everything's going great. Everything's going great. <gasps> There's a Herodias in my life, you know. What am I going to do? Who cares? Just Herodias. Let Herodias be Herodias. You be you. Be you. 
<laughs> you have little faith, why'd you doubt? Thank you for that, Jesus. Know that. He wants you to walk with him. You're the Son of God. When Verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. They did it. We see that three different times. Just a hem of his garment. We see uh, Paul. Remember his apron, his work apron, because he, he was a tent maker by trade. That's how he provided for himself and the other guys that were with him. Um, they, he didn't have time, so they took his sweaty apron and passed it around. Anybody touched Paul's apron, they got healed. And Peter, Peter would just walk, and if the, his shadow fell upon them, they were healed. There's something about that. I mean, you can, I'm sure there are books written about you need that point of contact for your faith to be activated. Whatever that means. All it means is they believed that if they could just touch his hem, they'd be healed. They had faith. They trusted. If they just touched that apron, it didn't have anything to do with the hem or the apron or the shadow. None of that's magical. There's no magical shadow or anything. It's the fact that they knew that if they did this, they'd be healed by God is the idea. And we do need to act upon that faith. We do need to do that. And that's just simply trusting him. When he says, I can do that, I can do that. If he says, I want to come out on the water, and he says, come, that means I'm going to be able to walk on the water. I'm going to be able to do it. Not, come, <laughs> I knew he wouldn't be able to, you know. No, come. God tells me all sorts of things. I want you to walk by faith in your life. I want you to trust me. Now, to wrap it up, John the Baptist trusted God. And he lost his head. But he finished his walk with the Lord faithfully. It went well. He didn't compromise. He didn't say, well, maybe it's okay that you guys are married. Maybe that's all right. Just get me out of here. Nope. Willing to lose his head over the truth. On the other hand, there's these people that are trying to walk with him by faith. They get out of the boat, and they take a few steps, and they sink, and he saves them, and he pulls them out. The point is, both of, both of these groups, both of these, the, the multitudes that would find him because they knew that if they were near him, he could heal them. Whether it's Peter, I can walk on the water if he tells me I can, and he did for a while, or if it's John the Baptist, I'm going to lose my head. All of them, they all finish their race well. They're all walking by faith, you know? And I hope you're encouraged by that tonight. I hope that you see that he's moved with compassion for you. That he wants you to walk out on the water. That he wants you to finish your race well. That you're not wrong for preaching the truth or talking about the truth. Even though the world may tell you otherwise. It's the most important thing you can do is to walk in the light. To walk shining for Christ. You've got to. No one else is going to do it. If we don't. Lord, we thank you for your word. I know for me personally, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be able to finish my race no matter how it ends. I don't care. I want to finish it faithfully serving you. And I also thank you for the encouragement tonight that I can come to you as often as I need to because I know that you're the only way and the only one that can help. And I know that you're moved with compassion for me. And then finally, Lord, I know 
that you want me to come out on the water with you and that it's possible. And I want to be that too. I want to be Peter and then some. So God, I pray that you'd help me with that and help us all with that, Lord. To understand all three aspects of this chapter. To chew on it. To let you work in our lives. That we might be these examples of faithful disciples, faithful followers of yours. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless the kids as they were taught, the teachers that took the time to teach them and to prepare their lessons, the worship time that they had. Um, so fun to hear them back there yelling and screaming and singing and having a good time. And we appreciate all the servants that brought all this together, the cleaning and the setting up and the, all of it, out of love and out of, out of devotion to you. Move with compassion. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to, to pray with you.